<laughs> Gosh, John, I forget how good you are at karate. That's incredible. I know, man. I mean, it's all about the right belt. It is. Timing you know? or your leather belt. Exactly. I, I feel like maybe, is that not, that's what you meant. Not really, okay. but speaking of, oh, Dave, wow, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to try to transition to okay. save you. <laughs> Finally, Dave, Yeah. warm spring days are arriving. Oh, Am I gosh. right? Isn't it great? You know what? I need a new pair of shades that I don't have to baby. Do you know what I'm saying, John? I don't want to take care of them. Let me put them on, take them off, and not have to worry Look, about it. Hey, Dave, I know exactly Sorry. Sorry, what I didn't you mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. Knock around is the solution. They've been making high-quality shades that don't break the bank okay. since 2005. Oh, wow. And they've actually been my personal go-tos for years. Oh, yeah. I love Knockaround, John. They have over 20 different frame styles, so there's something for everyone, including tons of kids' pairs. That's right. So whether you're looking to rep your favorite sports teams, mm-hmm. you know, like you're a sports guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> spend some relaxation time in the yard, yep. or cruise down Broadway with the windows down oh. like Dave does uh-huh. all the time. All the time. Every Tuesday and Thursday mm-hmm. and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Knock around. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah. All of their lenses have UV 400 protection, which is basically like sunscreen for your eyes, which, by the way, I've tried that, and it hurts. <laughs> Use the sunglasses, everybody. With polarized adult pairs starting at 28 bucks. you can get a few pairs to leave in your car, toss in your beach bag, or lend to a friend in need. Dave, that is such a good price I that I might buy a pair just to intentionally lose them. I don't love that logic, John, but I know, you do but have a history of misplacement. It's not around Don't fight me because like of the karate stuff. But it could so. be perfect for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dadville fans, don't squint through family beach days yeah. or trips to the park. Check out knockaround.com and use the promo code DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order. That's DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order at knockaround.com. Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... John Driver and Reggie Dance. All right, here we go. We're recording. We're live, live and in person. Okay, so um, by the way, welcome Reggie, where are you show, checking guys. in from? Yeah, welcome, welcome. Where are you? Where are you? You on the road somewhere? Yeah, I'm in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Look at you, just okay. a world traveler, just everywhere. <laughs> You've been everywhere, man. And and John, are you? You're checking in here in Middle Tennessee, right? Yeah, I'm right over here uh, east of Nashville. So Come on. Just down Come the road. On. Come on, man. I see the guitar in the background. Yeah. Did yeah, you I don't hang really that up? I just, yeah, I just put that <laughs> right there. Before this. Yeah. I, I painted it on the wall. It's glued so. on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're sending that back to Amazon <laughs> the minute this thing is done. I see this the Amazon even, box in the back. This is not even really my office. Like, I don't know. I just snuck into this building because it had a guitar. I was like, I've got to look the part. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, any building in central Tennessee. I was going to say, you you picked a really good city to have that problem in. Um, we're so excited to have you all. So with us today, we have one, this in the book is so great, guys, but Reggie Dabbs and John Driver uh, with this new book, Not So Black and White, that is uh, really, really great. I hope y'all are super duper proud of this book. We're thrilled yeah. to have you on the show. And we always, so we kind of start the show with what we call is kind of the brag sheet. It's like the 
who you are and what you're up to. Um, and it's great because the, like I, it was the easiest work ever because the book just has it on there. So I was like, it's like the most consolidated work I've ever done in my life. But Reggie, I'm going to brag on you first. Been one of the most sought after public school and event speakers in the United States and around the world for more than two decades. Uh, which is funny because being 23, you've only done it for three years. You look, you look great and young. Black and don't white. crack. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, from professional athlete. Why, we don't have a white version of that. White don't fight. No, white you just don't. call yourself white chocolate and it's all good. <laughs> there you, go. you should see me on the basketball court, Reggie. Um, from professional athletes and stay-at-home moms to high school students, Reggie shares his own astonishing story of tragedy, redemption, hope with millions of people each year. An ac- accomplished saxophonist. Look at you. Yes, I okay. am. Yes, okay. I am. All right. Okay. All right. Respect. Reggie lives in Fort Myers with Michelle, his wife, 30 years. They have one adult son, Dominic. Um, man, I didn't know you played the saxophone. Have you played for a long time? A long Look time. Since real. I was eight. Yeah. Oh, so like dang. 50 years. Oh, bro. wow. I better be now, good. Yeah. Now, I've, I played saxophone <laughs> in seventh and eighth grade. You could, you could probably tell because, uh, you know. We see each other in the crowd, us <laughs> saxophone players. Okay. Actually, though, I, I am I am a uh, a disappointment in my family because I, I come from a long line of saxophone players, and my dad plays saxophone. He owns like way way too many saxophones, and his dad was a saxophone and a clarinet player, and so everybody was excited when I started playing saxophone in seventh and eighth grade. But that I retired. Uh, at the end of eighth grade, so. Mm. Yeah. But surely one were just like a regular <laughs> retirement. <It> was, <laughs> Did you go? It was very little fanfare bank? with <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, and that's my saxophone story. I'd never got a chance to tell that on the podcast until right now. Yeah, we've done, we've done how many I've never been able to slip that in. <laughs> He's been waiting. He's yeah, sitting on, just sitting on a post-it part. note right by his computer. Just yeah. I'm glad I could help you. I always see him look. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. That's a great assist, Reggie. I see him look to the left about once an episode, and I was like, what's he looking at? And he's just like, how can I get the fact that I've played saxophone for two years in there? And he just yeah. never can. Uh, okay, John, who's another Tennessean with us, is an award-winning writer who's authored, co-authored, or served as a collaborative writer for more than 25 books, which, good gracious, that's, that's a lot of books. That is, that, that's uh, boarding on too many. A former <laughs> history teacher and alumnus of the of Uni- University of Tennessee, UT over in Knoxville. Shout out to Farragut High School. He lives near Uh-oh. Nashville. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. We with in his trouble, wife. bro. We yeah, in trouble. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went to Let's... Fulton, bro. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Go Uh-oh. Okay. Here's, here's where it Go breaks foul. down. Here's we're where talks break down. <laughs> we're going to throw Four hands. Four minutes in, in and we're in trouble already. <laughs> you just click off. You just disappear. You're like, I'm done with this. I don't deal with you people. You come back uh, with a letter jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um... He lives near Nashville with his wife for more than 20 years, Laura, and their daughter, Sadie. He serves as the executive and teaching pastor at the church at Pleasant Grove and hosts the weekly podcast. Talk about that. It is so great to have you guys on. It really is um, really exciting. I'll tell you. So one of the things, you know, I was thinking about before we start this and, you know, such a fascinating, hard, wonderful thing to talk about with race. And the book is is really well written. Like I said, I, I hope you guys see a lot of fruit come from this this uh, book and the and the conversations that come from it. But you know, it's it's a hard thing. John and I were talking about this first. Like I can say, 
as a white guy, I don't know if you can tell from the video, but as a white guy, uh, these conversations, um, everybody's looking at me, not laughing. I'm like that, that landed. Really. So we're off to a great start is what I'm going to go ahead and start over in three, two, and no, but, uh, these conversations are, are always so interesting to me because, you know, I was laughing with John about it. Like I'm so, I, I love having these, but the white guy in me is so scared of stepping on like the race landmine without knowing it. It's one thing to do it. And you know, you said something dumb. And he's gone. I knew it. I knew yeah, he was, was going to say I it. I think I know what what it was that you said too. Are you guys there? Oh yeah, there he is. See, he's even there worse. He's just ignoring the name. And say, hey, I'm sorry about that, boys. Yeah. It, um, was it something I said, Reggie? It was the Farragut. Thing. And I knew it. I knew uh, it. We thought course. it was the saxophone or the Farragut. <laughs> I, had to, I had to go. I'm all right. I'm back. Though. Yeah. Okay. Good. See, it's that hotel Wi-Fi oh. that they say it connects you all the time. Oh yeah. Nope. That's no. a lie. No. That's a lie. Satan's involved in all hotel chains. <laughs> um, so, so as I was saying, these conversations I, I've really grown a lot from, but they're also really intimidating because I feel like, um, again, yeah. as white guy, there's just all these landmines and I'm so terrified. One, yeah. I don't know where they are and I don't know. I'm so scared of saying a wrong thing in these kind of conversations, you know? Right. So, um, you know, but there's got to be grace around that, right? Like, I think that's one of the things that's so powerful about what you guys are showing us is that um, just because there is a fear involved in how to engage in these things, it doesn't mean not to do it, right? <laughs> but, yeah, and, you know, absolutely. I think you guys being courageous enough to have that conversation as as two white guys interviewing us, because uh, it is, that's really where their book starts is um, there were so many ways that I wasn't, and it was exactly where you were, Dave, like not engaged in this conversation like I should be, but seeing things, um, not just on the news, but just in the culture. And, and of course, as a pastor, kind of feeling a lot of the white Christian reaction to this, not being what I, what I feel like even in myself is, is a true alignment with a gospel perspective. And so, you know, you, you kind of have this, everyone's just like, Hey, just don't call me a racist. That's like, kind of where we're all at and dealing right. with the terms and the semantics of it. And so, um, yeah, that's just to make you feel better about that. Like at some point, just reached out to my friend uh, and repented to him really like, hey, man, mm -hmm. listen, <laughs> um, I haven't even asked you, you know, about your experiences, you know, mm -hmm. in, in America and those things. And, and Reggie and I have a lot of fun. Like it's not a heavy, it's not always a heavy conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not the only way to do it. I mean, there's mm -hmm. also read a bunch of books and, and decided to change, you know, begin changing the way I think about this. But it did begin by just asking someone, um, if, if I could listen better. Um, mm. and if I make a mistake in the landmine, would you, would you give me grace, <laughs> you know, and, and let me, right. let me step into this in a place where I can sit and be present in the conversation, because I think mm. we're so far away sometimes, uh, in our worlds that we're, we're not, we're so afraid to offend that we don't engage at all. So yeah, yeah. I, I totally well, I get think that it's, feeling. It's perfect. The way that you guys started the book. I love that you started that way because when Dave and I were talking earlier today, we, we both have just the two of us have parallel stories like that. And I think a lot of people yeah. in this last, you know, year, year and a half have had very similar situations, especially your book starts out after George Floyd. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing with me. And I started having conversations with friends of mine, like you guys, friends that I've had really good friends since like elementary school. And I'm asking questions that I've never even thought to ask, you know, and getting getting these really like 
you know, bits of friends of mine where it's like, this is how they live their life on a day-to-day basis, being Asian or black and, and, you know, feeling just terrible that I, I haven't been a part of that feeling like I haven't been a, you know, a good friend in that way. But I do feel like I, the grace that I want to extend to people who are listening, I would say, A, I don't think that you have, you know, whatever beliefs that you have, like John, like you said, like people don't want to be called a racist. Of course, no, no one wants to be called a racist, but like whatever beliefs that you have going into some of these conversations, like maybe just like set them to the side or whatever. Like don't, don't feel like every belief that you have is being challenged. Yeah. Like you don't have to be 100% right and you don't have to be 100% wrong. These are not binary options here. You know, like, just set them to the side, have a conversation just by listening to somebody who might have a a different perspective on something doesn't mean that you're going to lose who you are or whatever. You can pick up that belief after the conversation if you want, but just have the conversation, you know? Absolutely. And that's why at the beginning of the book, we asked that question, when was the last time you changed your mind about anything? Mm. And if you can open with that blank canvas, in this book especially, and start painting that you know, with different, just painting it, painting it, you may come out going, well, I need to change something. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with change. Mm, right. Change actually is very, very good mm. in life. The older we get, the smarter we should get, mm. the better mm-hmm. of a leader we should become. Mm. And so all we're doing is having that conversation that's really rough, but maybe it can end up making the world a better place. You know, something that I thought you guys were so wise to begin the book like you did, and it really resonated uh, with me and, and just wanted to thank you all for this. But it does feel like to me, and, and Reggie, this is where I appreciate your patience so much. And John, I appreciate your sort of ability to be vulnerable with how you began, because I feel like there's a resonance with my story. Three or four years ago, it was really interesting when Black Panther, the movie came out. That was sort of my first uh, brush with these kind of with this kind of uh, opening of eyes, right? Yeah. Because there were these really great articles that were written by all these magazines, and basically the whole idea was, why is this movie doing so well yeah. in the African American culture? And there was there was a Christian take on it. There was a mainstream take. It was just so eye opening, and, and and it caused me because they just made points like, "Hey, white people, there's really not a lot of movies about." about the African-American culture or black people having a, this was the most fascinating point that one of the articles said is that it's one of the few movies where there is a, like, you know, in Wakanda, a self-sustained, fruitful, successful, completely African um, city and world that needs no help. They don't need white people. Like they're doing just fine on their own. And it was like, that was the beginning of a little bit of the, of the pill that I took to sort of see it. And then I made this point over the next couple of months to sit down with my black friends and go, Hey, exactly how y'all start the book. I said, I, I sort of feel like I had a couple of moments reading these articles that I was just completely blind to. Can you speak to your experience as a black person in America? What is that like? And it, what I, it, it was it was literally the matrix, literally. I mean, three or four of my close friends sat with me and said, yeah, well, what do you want to know? And they, and, and they each started telling their stories. And it was like 
mind, I felt like I was talking to someone who grew up on a different planet. Yeah. It was yeah. so different than my experience. And it was like, I couldn't unhear it and I couldn't unlearn it and I couldn't unthink about it. I mean, things that, and you guys touched, this is why I love the book so much. Cause I thought you were so wise to start this way. But I remember one of my friends telling me that every single Every single room he walks into is a black man. The first thing he does is to see if there's other black people in the room. Every time. And I was like, every time. He's like, every time. Another one told me that uh, when he watches TV, he's always wondering if there's going to be a black character in the show. And then you talking about messing my brain up. I started working backwards and of the shows that I grew up on. And it was like, oh, my gosh. Yep. There is, it's just a bunch of white people all the time. And I started yeah. to think, I can't imagine being, and he said this, like, imagine being a 15 year old, 13 year old kid that's growing up in the South and every movie you go to see is just nothing but white people. And I was like, oh my. So you just, to your, to y'all's point at the beginning of this book, it was the beginning of me suddenly going, oh my gosh, I've never had to think about this before, but it all, and you said it so well again, is I, I even put this quote down. John understood that once he asked, there was no going back, which led to what's it really like to be a black man in America. And I thought if there is any encouragement that I can give to anybody listening is sit with your friends that are of different ethnicities and say, Hey, what is it like to be you? Because I have, I felt so, I felt all these weird things. I felt guilt. I felt so much empathy. I felt, um, I kind of felt like, man, I've been left out of this thing that all of these people I know feel. And I had no clue. Well, there's a phenomenon. Maybe you guys, uh, all have in your own homes, but my wife is always right. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how it's possible. I really don't. I mean, she's yeah. some it's sort like of superpower or something. It, it's it hit is. us too. Yeah, it is. I, I, <laughs> yeah, the infection rate is really high on this thing. <laughs> really? And, and, you know, she said something that she saw online the other day uh, that they're trying to, in someone's home, they're, they're trying to use a phrase uh, that should remove so, some of that shame from not knowing things. And that is, mm. hey, I just, we just haven't learned that yet. Mm, yeah, it's just something I, ha I haven't learned yet. And, yeah. um, you know, I think where this whole journey for us goes into and you know, when you read uh, my bio or whatever there at the beginning, like number one, those award winning things, what you didn't mention is that was like a middle school essay contest uh, for the writing. So it, it's <laughs> super it's prestigious. All, it's, it's right all here behind valid. the guitar. It's all right valid. next to the guitar back here. Yeah, yeah it's, I can it's, see uh, it back there yeah. hanging. It's a big, it's a pretty big deal. Like Ron Burgundy, guys, uh, kind of a big deal. Um, yeah. And so, but the, the other thing was I would put in my bio and, and this is a, a religious sounding phrase, but it means so much to me now. Like I really am a recovering Pharisee hmm. and like, I mean, 12 step recovery. I've been through that process. And a lot of this book is about that. And when you hear words like recovery and, and even in Christian circles, I mean, I'm a third generation pastor, grew up in church, written all these books and all those things with all kinds of people. And the idea that I would have had so much ground to uh, regain on an issue like race, especially as a history major and a history teacher and someone who hates racism, the idea mm -hmm. that I would have been so far away to the John of five years ago would have been completely foreign, ludicrous, and insulting. And we use that word a lot in the book for that reason. It's trying to zoom in on what makes us feel so insulted or so insecure because I could have told you more about this topic from just a, um, a cognitive place or a knowledge place than, than a lot of people around me. And there's that kind of thought that, that education or knowledge equals 
engagement or equals right standing in the engagement. And what really changed me, and it's, it's a God thing, uh, was coming to grips with a lot of other things unrelated to racism in my life. This is just the next part of what it's done. Of I'm not the kind of Pharisee that everybody thinks Pharisees are, that sits around and judges everybody else for all these things. I was the other kind of Pharisee that felt that what God had done for me, what Christ had done for me wasn't enough. He needed my help a little bit on, on the side because I was the kind of guy that was super, you know, uh, humble, braggy. Everybody thinks I'm there to serve them and all those things. And, and I'm a really good friend to you. And I'm a Enneagram six loyalist and all those things like, man, I'm, I'm right there. I can foreshadow the issues and the problems for an organization and all those kinds of things. And there was such a confidence and even a pride in that false humility of, I can't see what I can't see. I don't know I'm not seeing this. And if you try to tell me I'm not seeing this, I'm just going to think you're calling me a racist. And that is a reaction mm -hmm. that we hear all the time when it's really not about the label. I was, I was more worried about what I, what I was not doing wrong than what I was doing right. Just, hey, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. And, and man, when that was removed, it was such a freedom. And of course, having a friend like Reggie that I can go to, and he's not the only friend in this, and, and going to a person... Uh, of color is not like the, the it's it's a step in a lot of things. I got so far to go and I'm the least of these. This is ridiculous that I'm even in this conversation. I mean, it's a because I've not been an ally or effective in those things. I'm, I'm just taking steps and feel like a lot of people are facing the same emotions that I was facing. And and so we're writing about it to try to invite people into, hey, take start taking steps to change the way you think, because it actually is the essence of the whole gospel. The freedom is found in recognizing that I might not be seeing everything clearly uh, or 100% mm -hmm. accurate. Hey guys, it's Dave. Autumn is one of my favorite times of the year. I love watching Mother Nature flex, you know, changing the leaves to brilliant oranges, yellows, and reds while preparing for the new season. And as I watch the colors change, I can't help but think I also need to prepare for the next season in life. That's why I started by getting free life insurance quotes with Policy Genius. Since Policy Genius is a marketplace and not just an insurance provider, the smart and helpful licensed experts over at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance company, so you can trust them to help you navigate the entire shopping and buying process. You might still be asking, why Policy Genius? <laughs> why compare prices? Well, the answer is easy. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. What are you waiting for, silly? Head to PolicyGenius.com. Their experts will work out how much coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find you the best price in no time at all. Finally, when you're ready to pull the trigger, the Policy Genius team handles all of the paperwork and scheduling at no extra cost to you with absolutely zero extra or hidden fees. Quick quiz, how many extra or hidden fees? Zero. Gosh, you guys got it right. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Reggie, I want to I want to ask something as you know, knowing this as you build friendships, as you've built friendships your whole life, with white friends, what ha, ha, do do you feel compelled to let them into to that to your experiences? That I mean, I think that was what was so interesting for me with my friends that are black is thinking like, why is this not something that y'all would immediately tell me? Because it's so compelling. But then I realized that's 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 one of the things that's so fascinating about the journey is is 
I, I just, I'm so fascinated by it. Can you kind of speak to that? Like, is that something that you, that you talk about much? You wait until a certain point or, I mean, h- how do you think about that? No, you got to wait. Hmm. You can't, you can't just, you can't just, and these are the stories of my past in the book. I never dreamed I would be putting that in a book out for the world to read because my dad taught me. My, I grew up in foster care. My foster care parents are black, uh, a teacher and a school janitor. But he said, whatever you do, don't see race. Do not see race. Even if it is, mm-hmm. don't let it get in you because it'll eat you from the inside out mm-hmm. and it'll make you what you can't be in the world. So literally when John came and said, hey, can I ask you some questions? He literally is the first person, forget color in it, wow. who literally wanted to know how I grew up. And uh, and I and I and I was like, oh man. So I'm like reliving these things in our conversations for this book. And I'm literally and I think I might have said it a couple of times, John, I never dreamed yeah. we would I would be saying this stuff out no. loud. But when you see things happen like we have in the last year, mm-hmm. year and a half it's you got to do something. And I don't know why this whole book laid on me and John like this, but if I didn't do it, shame on me, Mm. shame Mm. on me. And and what I leave the legacy for my, my son who's in his late twenties, shame on Mm. me for the young people who watch me in public schools and and look for me to find certain answers. Mm. Shame on me if I don't do this. Mm. So it was, it was, it was okay because John wasn't just cheering me on, standing on the sideline. He literally was in the street, walking down the street with mm, me. Now. Yeah, and, and that matters. That matters. And 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 I'm telling you right now, Dave, your friends who are black, when you ask them, they may not have said nothing to you, but I'm telling you, they went home going, "Dave is my friend. Mm. Dave is my friend." Mm. He literally opened up and asked that kind of question. And you got guys who are going to, it's going to be, you got some ride or die brothers with you Mm. now. And that's happened. And we need to do that because the more we could do it on a one-on-one, four guys, even in this podcast, Mm. the more we do that, the more we're going to change the world in the end. Mm. So that's why, that's why I did it. Mm. And that's what it's about. It's about living life together. Yeah. Why, why does it feel that? Why does it feel like of those three or four friends I talked to, I was just so surprised that they wouldn't share that on their own. I think that was what was so, and again, there, I, it made me sad, but not for reasons where I felt like they had let me down. I felt like this just must not be a place where they feel safe to share that or, you know, knowing I had to initiate these questions. And then it was like, they were like, man, I'll tell you, here's the key, here's, you know, here's the keys of the kingdom. But it just so surprised me that, that, cause I've talked to so many of my white friends. I, I was like on a, vendetta uh, out of vengeance to get out in the world and be like white friends you gotta listen to me we have this kind of wrong yeah. or you need to know what our our black brothers and sisters are going through because i just didn't have a clue it was like i couldn't believe it you know i mean one one of my favorite stories we had my one of my dear friends got him isaac on uh, earlier and he tells us he's an actor and he tells this crazy story about being in santa barbara he went to a uh, showing of Will Smith's that concussion movie when it came out. Yeah. And he said, you know, he's, he laughed and said, I was in Santa Barbara. So obviously I was on black guy in the crowd. But he said, <sighs> when Will walked into the room, he's told me the story two or three times because it just fat. He said, I watched him scan the whole crowd. He found me. He gave me a head nod. I had nodded him. And then he went on. And I'm like, that just I don't even know how to think about life like that. And then he said, after the show, 
His the lady said, "Hey, you should go back in and meet him." He's like, "I don't, I don't know about it." And they walked in. Will jumped over the thing, came over and hugged him. <laughs> it wow. was like, I was so glad you were here. And I think I just I don't white people can't understand that. That's like, what does that even mean? But I just was like, I just think it's so interesting that my friends wouldn't have been like, "Hey, as we're getting to know each other, here's some things that are interesting." But then I thought there must be something about that that just doesn't feel safe, or it feels like a conversation that's too you know, scary for both of us, or I don't know. I'm just so interested in that. No, Dave, here it is. Dave, yeah. you're in the, you're, you let somebody in your living room because the front door is right there. Yeah. But it takes a while for them to end up in your kitchen, pulling mm. out a pot and making you a bowl of chili. Mm. So what you have done, you've set up a rapport with brothers that were, when it came down for you to ask that question, you should be absolutely thrilled, mm. Dave, that you have set up a relationship that they were comfortable enough with you to share those stories. Man. Yeah, I think that is that, and, and, and I, I want to do this a couple of times during this podcast because I almost we should just call it let's take a white break. But like white break one would be to, to all the listeners that are listening that are of the lighter skin persuasion. I, I can't say this enough and I'll probably say this a hundred times during this interview. If you have friends that are again of different ethnicities. I can't tell you the 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 impetus it is to sit with them and ask them these questions. I just think it is the most crazy, wonderful, sort of terrifying and eye-opening thing to hear people tell you their stories because I think it takes I think that's what I learned was it takes you asking. It takes you sitting with someone and going like, "Hey, tell me your story." And then they go, "Yeah, I'd love to tell you." But but it was interesting that no one had offered that before, which I just was so fascinated by it. So it's, it's really encouraging, you know, to hear you say that because I do think there is something to sort of go in, oh, we got to, that's the work we got to do. I mean, y'all talk well, about this Well, I think a lot, a lot of us book. were thinking like, okay, I don't want to burden my friends. I don't want to call right. my my friend Micah and be like, hey, in the midst of everything that uh, you've been dealing with your whole life that I haven't been privy to at all, that I've been completely oblivious to, now I need you to educate me about it, you know? So I think that's yep. that was the hang up for a lot of that that was a hang up for me for a lot of people mm-hmm. you know but mm-hmm. it but it is good to hear you encourage people to just say like no just do it just don't do nothing just do something I you think know? there's there there are caveats in that, that you guys are pointing out um you know and, and I don't know if you've read Jamar Tisby's book you know he talks about that some I mean there's a there's a and Reggie's right we had a long term relationship this is our third book we've written together. Uh, and he wanted to write a children's book next. <laughs> and boy, we missed that one by a country mile. So, um, we, we, we went I mean, I felt different. like a child reading this. I was like, how do I not know these things? <laughs> but, you know, you got this, he, there is this like, hey, that relationship was there. And even the day, um, it was the day after I watched the George Floyd video. And mm-hmm. I sat in my bed that night and, and I cried when he, mm-hmm. when he cried out for his mom. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I, I spent uh, 15 years in youth ministry and it's just something about somebody crying out for their mom that brings out that a sense of their humanity. And, and, and I was as moved by the calloused reactions of so many conservative Christians, people of, of my tribe, if you will, um, not not just to anger, but to a sense of we're we're, we're misaligned here somewhere. And again, I don't have some great hubris to think that's mine to, you know, take on and fix. But I turned to my wife and said, hey, because we've been talking for a bit. Like we, I said, we have to stop talking. And, and, uh, and the thing, you know, before I called Reggie, by the way, I probably ordered 10 books on Amazon by black authors 
just, hey, it's time for me to start listening. I don't have to have, and that's not to John, that's where I was getting with that. I can have a conversation with, uh, and, and this is something that I've heard authors say, like instead of them being so exhausted to sit down with, you know, a hundred people at a time and tell it all, like there's so many mm-hmm. amazing things already out there that we can go access and begin to educate ourselves and, and sort of have a an integrated holistic entry into this of, hey, it's not just because someone, by the way, will find someone of a different color who already supports their pre-existing viewpoints on this. And we'll say, oh, well, <laughs> right. yeah, this is all political theater and garbage and all that. <laughs> and so we, we talk in the book about that, the, the role of anecdotal evidence versus mm-hmm, research based mm-hmm. and how it needs to be a balance of both. We, we, we don't want to just be bookworms on this mm-hmm. and just be people who just post on social media, but are not actually building any relationships growing here. And, and neither do we want to burden everyone just on a relational viewpoint of, hey, what's your experience? That must be the way it is for everybody. You know, there's not Mm -hmm. one white community or one black community. There are communities, plural, Mm. and people are having different experiences. Um, And so having that chance to to sort of not just say, this is the one thing you got to do, everybody, uh, but no, there are many things I can do. The point is, is my mindset turned to a place of humility and empathy and engagement to where I want to do something and I begin taking those steps. And I think you guys are right. Everyone I've encountered, and we interviewed a lot for the book, and we're so grateful for all the uh, the, the black individuals who are willing to offer their stories. But I always asked them, hey, you don't have to do this. It's not your job mm-hmm. to educate all the white people yeah, in the world, great. like mm-hmm. all those things. If you want to share about <laughs> this, it's great. And if you don't, I'm here. Like, I'm just here to, to, to be present and listen. And, and you know, uh, and they were all willing in, in that respect. Mm-hmm. But don't be surprised if everyone's not. Uh, but mm-hmm. I do think these conversations help lead us down a path of many different things uh, that spawn off of the conversations. Yeah. Can you guys talk a little bit uh, more about, you know, you 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 sort of like give sort of a, a directions on how to read this book. And and other books, you know, on this, your book, Not So Black and White, when people get this and they read it, you talk about like feeling insulted and like emotions that they'll feel, you know, like and questions to ask yourself while you're reading it, you know, because you no one should read this book and feel nothing. You know, that's that's not going to happen. Like you're going to you're going to and at some point you even list all these sort of like trigger words, you know, and that elicit these emotional responses from people. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the direction through that, like questions that you ask yourself, like, why am I so angry? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, Red, you jump in anytime on this. So a a lot of this book is written to to white Christians. It's written to white and black Mm -hmm. Christians together. But we even say up front, like, don't don't be surprised when we're dealing with the problems that we perceive uh, that the white church especially is dealing with and that we're not necessarily challenging our, our black brothers and sisters on the same level because they're already at this table wanting us mm. to come to it. Mm, and right. so it doesn't mean there's not issues there. And so that's when you get into those things of, of these false equivalents, false equivalency arguments seems to be like everyone's take. If I could just drop the term liberal or woke or socialist or whatever that thing is, it's like a instant, uh, pin on a grenade like it just blows up a conversation Mm -hmm. and now i don't have to be present for this i don't have to listen and of course that's you know being exacerbated on both sides of the media and all those things that we're just really a a bunch of dueling monologues here we're not really having a lot of dialogue because we're just too insulted and so we do call all of us like pay attention in fact, reggie is so funny i didn't tell you this our video our promo video is up and we already have a big negative comment 
And it's like exactly what we're writing about. It's like there's no such thing as color and race and 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 this is just a distraction. And and it's like like literally you did the thing that if we would read the first three pages, we're inviting you. Could you sit and listen to this one conversation before we just get mm -hmm. they heard our video and we talked about racism and so therefore it's a trigger. And it just it's a trigger to not listen. And they had valid points that we actually address in the book. Like Hey, well, we do talk about the, the, the ethnicity part of the kingdom of God. And we talk about how those things work. Like you gotta have to sit, you're not gonna be able to tweet your way through this. Um, these important things, we're going to have to actually go and have conversations, but those triggers reveal, um, what we believe to be what's, what's actually happening in a way that you may not consciously be able to just articulate out of the gate. And that's what recovery does for me. Step four in recovery is inventory. And inventory is like this moment. You go way back all the way to your childhood and you start looking at all the, and I listen to you guys' podcast and I hear you talk about this all the time. Like, you know, those childhood stories, um, when that emotion, where that emotion came from, and that's what Reggie began to do is tell me some of those stories, his earliest memories of this and how he was engaged or not engaged here. Uh, same thing for me, you know, a white kid growing up in Nashville, you know, uh, what, what does that, what does that mean? And of course, the influence of my father, influence of his father and, and how those things play into it. But if I'm too insulted to look back or I feel too condemned that someone's going to call me a racist or say that I missed it, you know, then I, I can't move forward. I have to be mm -hmm. able to process and as a history guy, especially going, Hey, history leaves a legacy for me. It's not living in the past to recognize that there is a legacy of where we were or and whether it's personally or as a nation in our history. And so, um, it's, it's really trying to get over to answer your question, get over those hurdles of the triggers. If you allow a trigger to keep you from listening, that that is antithetical to gospel logic. Gospel logic says I'm humble enough. Not only I am way worse than a racist, guys. Like my, if I believe the gospel, then I say hey, my sin was enough for the son of God to hang on a cross and die. Why am I going to defend myself on this matter or this matter? Like I don't have any of those defenses left. I just rest upon completely the work he's done. I don't have any defenses on this. And so I might be right or wrong about different things. But if I can do that, there's such freedom to be able to listen without the insult. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to get other people to change their viewpoint. And, and when we're talking to Christians, you know, everybody has this, if you're a Christian, the one thing you have in common is that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, right after that, it's almost as if Jesus says, okay, now that you're with me here, see the way yeah. I see change your viewpoint. And that's even on something like racism. Yeah. And if we can do that, then it's going to be fine. And I told John, I said, we'll lose friends over this thing right here. So having a negative comment and they're out there up the front means we wrote a really good book up in here. That's what that means. Because and it's fine. It's fine. If, if people don't know me, they can go ahead and hate me. I'm 58. I'm old. I look good because black don't crack. But I'm just telling you right now, we got to do what we got to do. Yeah. And what yeah. we're doing is, and I love the way, and John helped me orchestrate this, to help people change their view, change the way they're looking at something. And to see it through Jesus' eyes is the greatest way for us to do that as Christians. Hey guys, it's Dave, half of the podcast Dadville. <laughs> it's no secret that technology is so essential to our daily life. I'm constantly using my iPhone and iPad throughout the day to write everything from jokes to emails to songs to sweet, sweet love texts to my wife 
<laughs> so sweet. I switch back and forth so often, it's so important that I find tools that can easily fit into my unique routine. When relying on devices like this so heavily, it's easy to forget that we're born with built-in hardware. For instance, the ear. <laughs> That's right. Just like fingerprints, no two ears are alike. That's why I use Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds from Ultimate Ears. Unlike other earbuds that are uncomfortable, stubborn, and constantly falling out, Ultimate Ears fits gently warm as the light hardens them to the exact shape of your ears. It's like a magic show in your ears, folks. Tell me who doesn't want to go to that. You know what I'm saying? You can feel the technology working in real time. Because Ultimate Ears fit like a glove, the noise isolation is so superior to any of their competitors. I'll even use my earbuds while doing noisy chores around the house, like washing dishes or mowing the lawn or trying to just get my children's yelling out of my ears. <laughs> Am I the only one? Stop. Don't judge me. Ultimate Ears have all the battery power you need to listen to your favorite shows <coughs> Deadville, <coughs> excuse me, all day long. That's eight hours of continuous playback on a single charge and up to 20 hours with the charging case. For a limited time, get 15% off your pair of Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Earbuds at ue.com slash fits. Use promo code Dadville at checkout. That's 15% off with promo code dadville at ue.com slash fits reggie why do you think there is such a backlash in the church it's been you know john and i've seen this a little bit oddly enough even on in, in our instagram when we've posted about you know things that deal with race or had conversations around race it's amazing to me how much christians get really weird about this yeah. and, and and it and it's a very you know it's a very touchy thing that feels so black and white, but I mean, well, I guess it's pun intended there, but like, you know, Reggie, <laughs> why do you think that is? Why do you think that's such a hard thing in the church for us to want to deal with and, or just sort of sweep under the rug? You know, what, what is that about? I think, I think time never yeah. changed in this topic. It just stayed the same. He's like, just hold on, hold on, hold on. It'll go away. It'll go away. It'll go away. But now something happened in the last year and a half. It ain't going to go away. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to have to face this, how can the church move forward mm -hmm. when we can't get past this one hurdle? Mm -hmm. Hey, we're the church of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We're we're the church. We're all nations. And red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his right. sight. Then we got to start looking through his eyes. And the only way to do that is for us to do it like this. And whoever, like, whoever made the negative comment, Ain't nothing wrong with that. It's cool, man. I'm a thick bone brother. We can handle it. But here's the deal. How do we get past that? Mm. Mm. How do we get past that? And that only way to do that is having a conversation one-on-one -on -one becomes one-on-four, becomes a group, becomes a small group, mm. becomes a small church, becomes a large church, becomes a nation, mm. and it becomes a world, becomes a movement. And all of a sudden, here comes the second coming of Jesus Christ mm. because we became the bride that he's after. Mm. You know, something— So we have to be able to do that. Something, something that y'all say, too, that's so profound that it, I feel like you're on a roll and I want you to keep going. When y'all say, you know— uh, uh, 
you talk about how we need to do it. Like it was different than, than white people saying like acknowledging it and going, oh, okay, well that's in fact, the quote is that's what we need. Reggie quickly replied. We don't need white Christians and leaders standing on the sidelines cheering us on. And Reggie, I just want to stop to acknowledge again, how profound I think that statement is that time hasn't fixed this because it's so true. And, and I think it speaks to your quote here that it's not something we can just sort of, especially as white people go like, give it a minute, it'll, it'll get, and then we can kind of re-engage. But to your point, you know, you said we don't need white Christians and leaders standing on the sidelines cheering us on. We need you guys on the front lines with us. And so kind of like you're saying, how do we do that? Like, how would you encourage your white brothers and sisters to engage in that uh, struggle with, with everybody to move it forward, to see healing, to see conversations? Like, what does that look like? What's helpful? It looks like this picture right here. It's the four of us having a conversation that everybody else doesn't want to have. But you know what? Once they get engaged in this conversation, like we're having right now, they are not going to turn off this podcast. They're mm-hmm. going to hear it all the way to the end because they're going to start asking themselves questions. And and here it is. Somebody's got to be willing to put themselves out there to do this, to do this, to say, hey, let's talk about this. Let's put it on the table. Let's see what happens. And you never know how good a French fry is until you eat it. <laughs> You can look at it and go, dimmer than dumbest looking things I've ever seen in my life. But once you put a French fry in your mouth, you're going to eat it. Would that be the name of y'all's next book? I mean, that'd be amazing. <laughs> okay. I think it was Shakespeare. You guys, I think it was Shakespeare. Who said. Truth? Yeah, that was. It was. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so. it's really, it's really interesting. Hey. You you guys touched on this conversations, Reggie. That's beautiful, and thank you for saying that. I think it is true. Conversations yeah. at the beginning of that. We had a one of the things we did at my church before COVID shut everything down, but God didn't. God didn't get shut down. Amen, y'all. Oh come <laughs> I on! I feel like I had to say that. Um, word, but word. Um, but but we we had a really amazing thing because I go to this really wonderful church here in Nashville. But it's you know, I mean, we have I think like <laughs> two black congregants, which are thankfully really good friends of mine, and I'm always like, you okay? You need any help? Is everything good? And thankfully, uh, they're they're just fine. But leave. I always Dang. feel such a like, please don't leave, please don't leave. It's, it's two people toward a hundred. Let's just keep it strong. But you know, we did this really cool thing in the Sunday school that I leave. We had a white guy and a black guy who are really good friends. We had them come in and t- both are pastors, and 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 the the guy he he's he, the black man is a minister at this um in Franklin at this kind of uh, uh inner city church in Franklin Tennessee here and he said something that really again i just feel like some of these conversations rock my paradigm so hard but he said something that i thought was really beautiful he said conversations are so important to this um to this problem because he said the thing that white people need to be careful of is this isn't like even as I ask that question before, I hear my like, how can I help? Like yeah. Captain America things start to happen. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not good. Like it's no. I, I want to be beside you. This is not white people come to save the day. Like, right. And so he tells this thing, he said, and this is why conversations are so important. This that's why this is so important. This is why getting in touch with your black friends and sitting down and talking to them one-on-one about their experience is important. Cause he said, he told this hysterical story about his church. And he said this, you know, white, um, church mission group, wonderful people. He said, wonderfully met well-meaning people get to the door, knock on the door. They're like, Hey, we're here to help with the work day. What can we do? And he said, uh, this is what we need help with. And so they, so they kind of scope the church. Like, like, okay, well, all of a sudden, uh, the next, like, I don't know, two, three days later, uh, air conditioning unit gets delivered to the church. So the pastor is like, 
well, who's this from? And they said, oh, it's these people sent it from the church that came over. They noticed you didn't have an air conditioner, and so they sent you an air conditioner. And he said, do you know what I did with that air conditioner? <laughs> he said, I took it, sold it back to the store, took the money, and used it for what we really needed it for. And I thought, <laughs> what a hysterical sort of little view into some of the problem with this thing is instead of sitting with this pastor yeah. and going like, hey, what do you need and how can we help you? Like, I don't want to take what I think about. Like he would have said, man, we could we could use this money for the thing and the ministries we got going over here and boom, 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 boom. And then it's like, great, here's the money. Oh, it helps. Like do your thing with it. Yeah. Instead, it's like, here's what we have perceived to be the problem. Here's how we're right. going to help you. You're welcome. And I now thought, we just what gave you profound. an errand to run. <laughs> right. <laughs> and now we just made you spend gas money. To go yeah, right. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm terrified of that, of that very thing you're saying. And I think it's a constant thing um, that, I mean, that's why I use that, that expression and I don't want it to sound cliche, but being present, like I need to shut up and be more present. And I don't do that very well. Um, there, there's just this, like, there's a, there's a guy, you would know his name and I don't want to name drop who wrote a, a very important book on these topics. And I just reached out to him and, uh, and he, he agreed to meet with me and I drove all the way to across two, three States and went to this little town. And, um, we sat down and I was like, I don't have any agenda really. I don't have anything to ask, you know, it was really weird and, and, and awkward. And he was like, you mean you drove all the way here like eight hours? Just, I said, yeah, I just want to be present for once. So yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, let's go get in the car. And he drove me all over the town where they were, showed me the history of everything. We walked out to the river and, and we hung out and it was a little town. We couldn't even grab coffee. We grabbed something at the Sonic. and. And that was my day. And I don't have his endorsement and I don't have anything for the book on it. You know, uh, he's quoted in the book a bunch, but at the end of the day, like there are so many people who've done so much work for so many years. And, and I know one of those things is, and, and Reggie said it, like there's something different and, and they all write about that in these last couple of years, but there are guys and we share some of their stories in the book. And this has been a, a, a gospel mission for them for I mean, decades upon decades, and certainly the issue has been around for centuries. Uh, and, and so, and, and that sort of, I think, plays into, by the way, your original questions of why is this so hard to get into? We get a lot of this from Christians, like, well, this is a sin problem, not a skin problem. Uh, mm -hmm. And you're always going to have racism as long as you have sin until Jesus comes back. And that's why we make sort of this like declaration in the book, like, hey, that's just an easy out. It's just an easy out no. to say, oh, this will always be that way. And so we say, well, we, we don't think of ourselves as so special that we might end racism in the world. But any of us who follow Jesus should expect there to be an end of racism among God's people in the church. And if mm -hmm. we think, well, that's impossible, we'll never end racism in the church, then I think it's a really low viewpoint of God. Like mm. God's just sitting there going, oh, I'm cool with this part, guys. You this know, one got away from me, guys. Sorry. Yeah, I don't have any answers, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, I think getting back to a heroic vision of, of what God wants for his people. And you're so right. Like I, I'm a pastor and my church is not diverse at all. And so like, in fact, my dream uh, as I meet with other people in my own town and my, my real dream is that not that we go, someone told me, they came and said, hey we should do because we started talking about racism a lot at church in the gospel and someone said hey what you should do is you should hire a black guy on staff and i looked lovingly at this at this deacon of our church and i said i don't have one black friend who i would subject that to 
Like, that, <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine what torture that would be for us to bring one guy in and, like, oh, hey, listen, you're going to represent everything now. Now Every we're diverse. It was like, but, and he meant so well. And it's like, I think a lot of us do that. Like, let's just find a way to sort of begin to to deal with the shutters of, of this broken house. And like, the truth is we need to deal with the foundations and it's a much more yeah, complex, right. time-consuming, uh, the house is, it's got to come down in some ways and be rebuilt rightly. And so that's the thing. That's why we go to the heart and, and the thought process, because we can't yeah. just throw a coat of paint on this thing and hope that it, it looks better. Mm-hmm. Reggie, what do you, you know, for, for the black, readers who pick this book up and read it what what do you hope they get out of it i i hope first and most of all that my christian black friends realize oh my goodness they get this mm. they under they're asking the questions that we've been waiting mm. to be asked and it's not that reggie is whatever you know it's just that Man, we're not. We're in this together with the church. We are the church, you know, and maybe we can go back to kids and sing the song Red and Yellow, Black and White. We're all precious in a sight. But I just want my 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 black family to know that, dude, there are white people who are really white chocolate and we can pull them in because a lot of times black people, they'll go, oh, that's great. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Mm. That's wonderful. And they'll walk away going, I wonder what they want now mm. <laughs> when yeah, in a, yeah. a life. There are white brothers and sisters who are like, let's do this. Mm. Come on, let's change this. Let's be like Jesus when he was at the well. Mm. Let's do this. Let's change this. Let's be like the Good Samaritan. Let's make this happen. And I want I want people to just see it like yeah. that, that they can go to the church and find hope. Mm. No matter what, and without having to ask, hey, are there black people here? No, let's get rid of that. When they see that cross on the top of the steeple, they can walk mm. in. Well, just as they yeah. are and find hope yeah. and love and peace. Yeah. That's where we got to get to. Yeah. That's do, beautiful. do you feel like uh, you, you mentioned in the beginning of the book, uh, when you guys were talking about George Floyd, you talked about uh, John, I think you had said like, how, why have we never talked about this? How would you never, you know, told me yeah. uh, about this experience? And, you know, Reggie, you were just kind of saying, I don't, I mean, it's just always been, a part of my life. These are things that you, when you were talking about teaching your son to drive before you even teach him how to drive, you taught yeah. him, you take your wallet, you put it on the seat. You know, when you, yeah. if you get pulled over, you take the, put the dome light on all these things that, you know, I would have never thought about. Um, since in the last, you know, year, year and a half, has any of that worry been relieved somewhat or what, what has happened with that worry? Um, it, it's still there. It'll always be there. Mm-hmm. My son lives literally, he lives, he lives like a block from the hotel I'm at. We're about to go to dinner after we get done with this, oh, nice. but I live in South Florida. So mm-hmm. it's so far away, but, uh, I, my, my faith is the way I raised him that he's kind, mm-hmm. he's thoughtful. It's, it's it, when he, and he's been pulled over here in Oklahoma and <laughs> one guy came up and he had to Four windows down, dome light on, handing him his driver's license. Sorry, sir, I was going a little fast. I'm heading to work. And the guy looked at him and goes, who taught you how to do this? And he goes, oh, my dad. My dad taught me this. No way. 
good for him. He goes, good for him. He goes, hey, you have a charger. How fast is it? And he goes, it's only a V6. He goes, I can't give you a ticket if you got a V6. Here's your license. Just drive a little slower, all right? And he let him go. Wow. And, and, and my son told me that story. And he goes, I said, good job. You did great. He goes, no. He goes, dad, thank you. Mm, yeah. He says, because even, even a police officer realizes that I was raised, uh, I guess I, it's the right way. Mm. You got to protect your kids. You got to do what it says. I just never dreamed or even thought. I just taught Dominic the way my foster dad taught me. Mm -hmm. So and so it just goes on and on. But now it's it's a cool thing that you guys would bring that part of the story from the book up because it's something so simple, but it's so deep. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that you wouldn't even have to think about that. Yeah. But we do. You know, it's it's we're going to have a, another white break. And I just want to say this again. <laughs> I feel like we should I have to reiterate a this. For the white break. Yeah. I'm going to put that on you, John. Um, I, I think I just want to say this again to our listeners. This is the thing that is is so eye opening to me. And Reggie, you just said it is for a white person. And I'm speaking from my experience. I I just live my daily life. And, you know, every now and then there's something that's like, don't walk down a dark alley because you can't see what's coming. That has nothing, you know, just normal date. Like, right. don't jump right. in water that looks like you might drown. You know, th those things. But that's normal human things. I think that was the thing that opened my eyes the most is that my black brothers and sisters have a checklist of things yeah. that daily when they walk out, when, when my friends walk out the door, I mean, it's funny. One of my really dear friends is one of the most humble, wonderful guys in the world. Um, he, he drives this incredible car. That's really kind of not like his personality. Uh, and he's a black guy. And so I said to him during this whole thing, I was, I was having this conversation with him and he said, can I, let me tell you, he said, Dave, you know me pretty well. I said, yeah. He said, you know, have you ever wondered why I drive that car? And I was like, honestly, yeah. He's like, it's because people think I'm an athlete if I get pulled over and they don't give me as hard a time. And I thought, yeah, that's a that's something wow. I never have to think about. And you are probably the third or fourth person I've talked to, Reggie, where somebody's parent said early on, I have to tell you how to be in the world in the event as a black child or now adolescent that you come up against white officers because you just don't know. And and they weren't even like they're going to get you. They were just like, you just don't know. It's a it's a. You yeah. know, it's a crap yeah. shoot. In those kind of moments, and this is the white break, for those listeners, that's what I want you to feel, if nothing else, to begin your interest in this, is that our normal day is so different for what we what I have to think about. I just get to go live and, and do my thing and try not to be an idiot, where I feel like that was the empathy I had with with my friends is going, no, no, no. Like every day they walk out the door, they got a checklist they're running through to make sure that if trouble comes, they're okay. And I just thought, yeah. that's not... I don't know that. So that was what was so compelling to me. So as y'all know, this is Dadville. So we want to talk about y'all's kids for a minute before we release y'all back to the wild. <laughs> um, so, so, so this is something that I'm always so fascinated by, especially with a book like this. And, and John, this one's for you. How do you, how do, how do we as white folk talk to our kids about this in a way that is helpful, that doesn't, you know, cause I, I'm always, and I think this could go with a million. It's not just race. It's, yeah. it's, it's sexuality. It's, it's Jesus. It's whatever is like, you don't want to pull the spotlight so strong on something that all of a sudden it's over alerting, you right. know, like you find your kid, like, wait, is that something I should be thinking about? Right. But you're also going, Hey, let's be able to talk about this. How, how have you tried to talk to your kids about this? Well, it's, it's as a white so guy. 
Yeah. You know, my wife helps me a lot because like, she's always like, Hey, look, you know, when, when our daughter was young, she was like, look, you're more likely to over explain things. So if she asks where babies come from, uh, you're going to go into an explanation and what she meant, which all she needed was the hospital. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that was, she was four. In fact, she tells this funny story. She tells this funny story when Sadie, Sadie was three years old. I was reading her, I was reading her a story uh, and, and there were angels in the story. And apparently I started giving her some dissertation about whether or not there are female angels uh, at three. So, you know, again, there's a lot, there's a lot of healing happening in my life. But John, you just nailed it. And I think that's, isn't that such a thing with parents? Like, I, I feel like I've got so many parents who get in those moments where their kid asks the most, but John McLaughlin, is that you that has that story? One of our friends has a story where that exact same thing happened about sex, where they said, they asked and the dad was like, all right, I mean, you're two and a half, but okay. So, oh gosh, should I take my clothes? That's too early for that. Let me see. Well, and literally like, I think the mom ran into the room was like, no, 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 honey. They're from the hospital. She's like, great. And then she kept playing. The dad was like, oh my gosh, because you just feel like, this. You're dodging bullets that to- aren't even there. Yeah. Or yeah. like, you know, John, like with your yeah. kid, especially being a pastor, she comes, she's like, daddy, where are angels from? And that's where your wife runs. And she's like, they're from heaven, honey. And you're like, well, actually, celestial beings, if we really get into the, you know. Well, there's a first, second and a third heaven. So, um, yeah. I mean, to answer your question, I really am trying to to say less and model more. And it's super wow. hard for me. Yeah. Um, number one, you know, we don't want to make her, and I know this is everyone's like, hesitancy about these topics like i'm not trying to just get her to have all the right language yeah. on myself either like i'm not i'm not mm. trying to, to to catch up where this all sounds right it's going to keep changing like things are going you know, terms are going to keep changing understanding keeps changing again there's just things we don't know we haven't <laughs> learned yet and that's okay but for her it's a sense of we do try to celebrate diversity like when she goes to school uh and, and you know we do talk to her about that hey, if you see somebody who's being mistreated for any reason um you know, and here are the boundaries of this, but we expect you that this is your opportunity to do the right thing. Mm. And obviously with the, with the kids, I think just beginning with, listen, and it's okay to acknowledge differences, but let's make sure. And one, one of the rules we, I don't like the word rules. You know, one of the things we try to do, if you're going to tell a joke and the person you're telling about is not around, like you can ask yourself the question, if they were around, would they also think it was funny? Mm, wow. So that's a, that's a really good filter. And so just begin to be aware. And then we do a lot of, of correction. That's not shaming. We really try not to add shame to it because I don't, I don't as a pastor and after years of doing this, I, I don't see a place that shame ever leads to true change in a way mm. that you want it to. Yeah. So yeah. like, Hey, if you made a mistake in some sort of uh, referring to someone's ethnicity this way or whatever, you know, let kids be kids. Mm. And it's just, hey, this this would be a better way. And I find that my daughter has a super sensitive heart to that. And she's like, oh, oh, did I say that wrong or whatever? And so not making her paranoid, but like, hey, here's just a better way. Um, so heck if I know if we're doing it right. Like I don't, I, I've thought after all those years of working with kids that I would be so good at this dad thing. And I'm just, and it sounds so cliche. Like I'm just shocked how just utterly clueless I feel most days. <laughs> Like I'm not in control of my emotions or anything that I, like I want to be. So I think like there's, I'm super broken with God all the time. Like, look, you know, hey, I'm at the place in life where 
I'm going to plant and water all that I can. I truly believe that the outcome is in your hands. And, and I'm, as it says in Philippians, I'm like persistently bring these needs to you, persistently make my specific petitions and requests to you for my, for my daughter and, and for where she's going to go and try to plant the best things we can. And the final thing I think we do, long answer, short question is when I mess it up, I try to repent to her and in front of her. Like I, I try mm-hmm. to make a habit. I'm, I'm really working on that. I had to say sorry this morning to her, but for my, just like we were behind coming from a orthodontist appointment late to school. And I get behind a UPS truck doing 40 and a 45. And I'm just like, ah, you know, like losing my mind. And I just have to turn and, and go, you hey. pass it and it's Jesus driving and he's just looking at you. <laughs> it was my lead pastor uh, doing his side <laughs> job. Yeah. yeah. So I, guys, I no longer have a job. So everybody's uh, got a side hustle. That would be such a thing, too, that your pastor would do that just to witness to people. Like, those were the people I knew. Like, I was like, come on, dude. For He's like, no, when I drop a box off, I do a little prayer. That's right. Bless That's the right. animals in the house, you know. So, John, how, how old is your daughter? Uh, she's 13. Oh, okay. 13. Yeah. Okay. And, and Reggie, your son is in his late 20s. I was going to ask what it's like. You know, I have a, a eight-year-old daughter and a six-year-old daughter. And Dave's kids are, we're kind of like, all our kids are stair-step in between each other. So we're still kind of young and we're always like hungry for advice uh, from parents who have older kids. And 13, I'll just go ahead and say 13 qualifies as older because you're getting into those teenage years. But like mm-hmm. what, what advice do you have for us raising kids going through those teenage years? What was it like for you guys? Was it as terrible and scary as you feared that it would be? No, not for me. Wow. Uh, you know what I did when he was young? Because I travel for a living, yeah. and I was I was like literally around the world. My son, when he was old enough to go, my wife would pack a bag and say, "I'll see you on the weekends." So I would do twelve youth camps in a row in the summers, and she would come on the weekends to wherever we were, and we'd hang out for the weekends. She'd leave, and we'd go to another camp. I probably by default figure this thing out because all of a sudden I'm given these altar calls and kids are in the altar crying, telling me their story. He's right near me. And I didn't realize he was listening. And then later on, we're in the hotel room and we go climb into bed and he goes, dad, that girl said that your words changed her life. Mm. So you're like a superhero, bro. (laughs) And I went, no, Jesus is the hero. He goes, no, Jesus uses people. Mm. So that means you're G, you're the hero without a cape. That's what you are. And as he got older, it was like, Dad, people were like you. They wanted to give up, but you didn't give up. So you make sure they don't give up. Mm. I said, yeah. And by the time he got to high school, his friends are looking at him going, hey, bro, we're going to do something after the game tonight. You cannot go because we know your dad and your mom and we don't want you to die. So you just can't <laughs> go with us. So they were literally not letting Dominic go do something wrong because they heard me speak in their schools before or they knew my wife. And so our taking him with us, it just let him see Mm. what we do. When he got older and stayed home and played football and I missed a game, he knew what I was Mm. doing when I was playing because earlier I took him with me. So I say, take your kids, let them see you, let them see what's going on. God, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's like mad at you when you're home. He's like, Dad, what are you doing here, man? He's like, you got to get out there and rock the mic, man. People need you. <laughs> and John, how's 13 going? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Reggie sounds way more uh, confident and happy. Thirteen's uh, going. <laughs> That's because he's, he's he's on the he's other down. side yeah. right now. I mean, thirteen. 13's he's in, sunbathing um, on the banks of that <laughs> river, just waving at us. I'm super bitter against Reggie. Actually, it's very. <laughs> you know what? My daughter is a joy, and of course. Um, I have just a girl. And so, you know, the, there's, there's a, you know, I don't have the, that dynamic of having a, um, another male around. And, and I, I think about those scriptures about uh, fathers don't um, exasperate your children. I think is what one version says. And like, I consider myself pretty in touch with my feelings, you know, recovery, Enneagram, all these kinds of things, a pastor and all that stuff. And I recognize that my harsh moments do more damage to her than her mama's harsh moments. And um, that there's something about the role of father that I, I, I have to be more careful to, mm. to engage, uh, that she seems to feel it more, even if I didn't say anything at all sometimes. Mm. And so I'm trying to be as sensitive. There's, again, just a lot of apology, repentance, and, and, and a lot of gentleness. And man, we get all three in the bed every night and turn on, you know, iCarly or whatever shows out there that she wants to, to stream. And man, when she snuggles up, you know, against me and when she sees me laughing, cause I'm just a goofy guy at heart and she sees me laughing with her. I mean, she stares at me as much as she does the TV. Mm. And I think there's some really special things there that I don't know the extent of until mm. later, but that I'm just trying, like Reggie, I'm trying to be engaged in her life. And we're a volleyball mm. family. She's, a, I mean, a really good volleyball player. We travel, uh, do club volleyball. Can we do and, something about those outfits, by the way, John? Yeah, no kidding. It's uh, Why has no one, I literally had this conversation with a friend of mine at lunch today. He's got girls that play volleyball. And I yeah. said, listen, it's 2021. Yeah. Every, why, how is there not a huge movement to put some clothes on those girls? I mean, I, I tell you, you know what you get you get used to it is in turn at first i was like what is the deal you know and i'm not really the carry the shotgun around kind of father you know uh i know you're shocked uh, but i sound so masculine burly but you know it, it, he you just kind of get used to it and i guess in those ways and you really tried to call attention to it the good news is it's almost all girls in the gym all the time yeah, that's so, true so that's that, good that, that that's works good. out well but just be present and go and and um, I don't have any advice. I would not, I, I would be a fool to tell you that was advice. I'm just kind of giving you <laughs> observations as I am walking through it and just praying to God in heaven that, uh, <laughs> it all turns out. Okay. <laughs> no, I, it actually like, you know, the, the guests that we've had on, um, and the through line of the advice that we have given when we have just point blank asked, like, help us tell us like you're ahead of us. <laughs> what have tears you and I, yeah. sweat. The uh, I feel like the overall answer is what you guys are saying is basically just like just be with your kids, like be close with yeah. them, just like mm. be in each other's life. They're not, mm. you know, this is me talking now, but they're not necessarily listening to what I'm saying as much as they are seeing yeah. what I'm modeling for them and how much I'm with them. So yeah. it's good advice. And when it drives me that, crazy that there, she's not listening to what I'm saying. It drives me yeah. crazy because in yeah. my mind, again, this is that pastor teacher side. Like I have so much wisdom to offer. You know, it's how you feel. And it's like, she's not, and my wife always tells me, look, you, you just, you're just putting stuff in there and you don't know what's going to come out 10 years down the road. Yeah. I will say this. We have one philosophy of parenting that I, I've picked up from watching others. And that is whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to keep doing it unless it's obviously wrong as I change. But if it's good, I'm going to keep doing it and not worry about the outcome until she's 25. 
Mm. And like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to, cause I think sometimes it's easy. There's stuff when she, she did when she was seven that I just kept going and kept going. It's so frustrating. And at 13, you're like, well, I shouldn't have to keep doing this. It's been six years I've been doing this. And it's like, I feel myself wanting to break off and disengage in some patterns or some things that we do. It probably just the time, cause I remember very little before age of 12 or 13. And so I don't want to break off at the time when actually it would have taken because I got so uh, sort of just out of patience with it seemingly not taken. So I've decided we're going to do all this stuff until she's 25. And I'm not going to worry. If it looks like she's coming off the rails, just stay the course and Mm -hmm. just, you know, hope that those things will be there for adulthood. We're not trying to raise a well-behaved child. We're trying Mm -hmm. to raise a well-adjusted adult. And that, yeah. that's what our goal is. So keeping that in Jeez mind. Jeez Louise, that'll preach. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all taking new members. Um, okay. So, so, so we thank you so much for your time. Let me say that first. We, we, we do two questions to end every podcast. And so, uh, you guys can answer, um, each as we ask. So I'll ask this first one. Um, what is the one thing you want your kids to know? Reg, you want me to go first? Hey, I just, you go first, bro. Um, you know, I think sometimes you guys ask the question almost like, what if your funeral kind of thing? What's that, what's that one let thing? Us, hey, can we please be the host I of this think, podcast? Guys, how's, how, let's, let's, how's Spoiler that alert. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing, I, <laughs> I think the one thing I want my kid um, to know would be that God cares and I wish I would have known this, that actually God cares so much more about her, whether it's her, her life, her redemption, the mm-hmm. ultimate redeeming of all the darkness in her life, in the world, that he is, is way more active towards that process than she has to be. Mm-hmm. The sense that God is initiating more. And I think so much of the Christianity I grew up believing and I still and recovery from is so much about it's up to me. It's up mm. to me to go find, up to me to engage, up to me as if God is very standoffish. Um, and so we really, I'm, I'm trying really hard, like, hey, if she's scared, not just to say don't be scared, but like, hey, um, you know that, you know I've locked all the doors, you know I've put security systems on or, or sensors on every window, even if it's way off the ground. I did this. So You're you a feel six. Secure. So you have to do that. I have to do it. Yeah. I can't go to sleep without <laughs> everything being right. But imagine how much more God, you know, mm. cares about you. Uh, and I want her to be more confident in the love of God than she is in the love of dad even. Mm. And that sounds so, I know preachy, but and it's hard because I, I really want to be the hero of her story. But I am I am too low of a hero for her story. So I want to be involved in her story and, and, and an important part. But I really want her to trust that there's a hero of her story that's way higher and better than daddy and that I didn't get in the way of her seeing who that is. Mm, that's great. Reg, talk to us. That's awesome. Hey, I just want my son to know Jesus the way I know him. Mm. Wow. And if he can know him the way I know him, he's going to be all right. Mm. <laughs> Sounds like he's well on his way after he's watching you all that time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We have one more question for you. And oh, what is uh, it? Up. <laughs> We're going to cut Jeez. out how you said that in post. We'll, we'll fix that. <laughs> uh, sorry. No, uh, I, but before I do, the book is not so black and white. It's out right now. Everybody go get it. It's so good. Um, 
thank you guys for writing it. Thank you for coming on the show. Mm. And last yeah. question is, what do you want your kids to say at your funeral? Well, I'm so surprised by this question. Yeah, no, uh, you had no time to think of your face. Know, I didn't know it was coming. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really would. I would want my daughter to say that my dad loved me really well. And, 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 and as she sees that, that she was loved well and that she was liked. Um, I think the, one of the biggest things that's happened to me in my relationship with Jesus is the idea that he actually likes me. It, mm. sound, it, it sounds even, it's hard for me to even say it because I, I have a fundamental default belief that he must be disappointed. And mm, right. for her to know, hey, I don't just love you. I, I, I really like you. <laughs> I, mm. I really, I really mm. like, I, the love is not forced. Like it, 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 in addition to that, there's a, a great affection for her and that that love didn't, again, get in the way of her seeing her real hero. So, mm. yeah. Wow. Um, I'd want my son uh, just to say, I'll see you soon. I'll mm. see you soon. I'll wow. see you in heaven. And that means everything's going to be mm. all right. Because I put everything <laughs> in my relationship with Christ. So, mm. What a great answer. Great. Uh, you guys are legends. Thank you all so much for being here. And again, thanks, John. I already said it, but thanks for fun. sort of helping all of us um, be encouraged and pushed to have conversations. It can be kind of hard, but I think are really fruitful and especially necessary. So thank you guys for uh, for doing that and kind of showing us how to do it. So God bless. Thank you, boys. Really appreciate it. Thank, yeah, you, thank guys. you. 